my teaching today will uh, be somewhat of a uh, both um, psychological and um, theological. And already you guys are like, oh, here we go now. Psychological, can't deal with that. But we're still in this series, um, When in Doubt. Um, but the title for uh, today's teaching will be in the form of a question. The question is, where is your emotional priority? Where is your emotional priority? And when we see questions like these, uh, we often internalize the answer. But wouldn't it be um, interesting for us to write that answer out at some point? Just really reflect on where are you, or where is your emotional priority? I'm having it written down somewhere to be thinking through what does that mean to have even an emotional priority. See, when we prioritize something, it's considered one of the most important things of the moment. Um, one of the things that I prioritize um, in my life is that I always prioritize my family. My family always come first in every circumstance. It is what it is. You know, but I always um, also prioritize this church because this is where I fulfill most of my calling um, as, a, as a pastor. Um, yes, I do other things um, outside the church, but this is where I do the bulk of the work as far as my calling. So each year I reflect on what God is calling me to do, and then I prioritize what's important for where God is taking me. It's no different from you guys having different things in your life, or maybe your classes, and, and you prioritize what comes first, how much work can you do um, in a given day. Uh, for example, um, last week I resigned from teaching a seminary course that I've been teaching for four years. And it's not the first time that I've been dropping these classes, but I started out doing three classes, and then I went down to two, then I went down to one, and then I'm like, this is it, no more. You know, I've been prioritizing it because I felt like I'm in a season where I wanted to dedicate more time um, to what God is calling us to do as a church. And since I'm not like you to have more hours in a given day, I have to prioritize. I only get 24 hours in a day, I'm not sure how much you have. And so some things had to be prioritized. And so we, we even prioritize our schedules. We do this all the time. In fact, we prioritize our engagement with other people in our lives. Um, we're not uh, the busiest people in the world. Um, in fact, I believe, and we can argue, that I'm one of the busiest person or people in this church because of my outside obligation before taking this role. And it's not because we're so busy, we simply prioritize how important people and things are in our lives. See, we're constantly making decisions for the sake of priority. But what about our emotions? Do we prioritize our emotions? Now my argument is not whether or not we trust our emotions, but the importance of acknowledging the role that our, our emotions play in our decision making. Can you guys prioritize your emotions? Can you just take time to really reflect some like, yeah. Some of you guys are like, emotion, what's that? <laughs> See, our emotions, they alter um, decision-making. 
Um, we had a clinician um, this past Wednesday. Unfortunately, many of you guys missed this opportunity to participate in this active conversation. Now, my academic background and my role as a seminary uh, faculty it qualifies me to be considered as a scholar or a theologian. So I'm unequivocally not a clinician. Not a clinician. But here's what I know. Doubt can be a cognitive process, but simultaneously be an inconvenience in our lives because it carry or can carry negative emotions. Uh, okay, let me say this way. See, you guys are like, what? Doubt is triggered by a circumstance. That's easy to understand, right? Okay, you guys haven't talked to me. Yeah. yeah. Fine, but let, let me create a circumstance. Who likes Chick-fil-A? Yeah. Okay. Who likes In-N-Out? See, see some of the same um, hands went up. One person said it's okay. But notice how the question allowed for you to like both. Right? But what happens if you can only choose one? See, if you're deciding between Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out. Now, okay, for those who had both ends, like, yeah, Chick-fil-A, In-N-Out. Okay, you have to choose one. Okay, let's start over. First question. Who likes Chick-fil-A? <laughs> Who likes in and out Okay, but th let me see the hands of those who had both hands up. Chick-fil-A and in and out okay? If you have to choose one, Chick-fil-A, let me see. Okay, in and out Alright? See, because of this circumstance, this cognitive process of choosing one over the other, your decision is now filtered through negative emotions. You start to think about, you can have to choose one. Just thinking about the last time you had one of these meals. You're like, maybe poor customer service. Or the last time you went to In-N-Out, they gave you cold fries. Maybe they didn't tell you, my pleasure. And now, based on those uh, responses, you're like, I'll never go back to In-N-Out, or I'll never go back to Chick-fil-A. But if you can choose both, if both options were there, both meals could have been desirable. So we can say that doubt is an inconvenience to our lives. If doubt is an inconvenience to our lives, then we have to also consider the following. Where are we placing our confidence and our priorities? Now, I'm going to be in Luke 12 for those who think that I won't be theological. I'm going to show you where Jesus commanded us to recenter our priorities. But before I look at our text, I still want to offer you three more things that I want you to understand about doubt. Number one is that doubt is not the opposite of faith. See, we often talk about, well, if you don't have faith, that means you have doubt. There might be elements of faith that's needed when you are in doubt, but doubt is not the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. 
Unbelief refers to a willful refusal to believe, while doubt refers to an inner uncertainty. So if I say to you that I can jump over this building, none of you would believe, unless you believe that I'm Superman. <laughs> but if I told you I could hurdle two cheers, you might say, maybe. Jumping over a building is a refusal to believe. But hurdling the chairs is an inner uncertainty. It's possible, maybe. Number two is that God doesn't condemn us when we question him. Biblical characters like Job, David, they repeatedly questioned God throughout the Bible. You can see it over and over. But they were never condemned. Likewise, God won't condemn you for asking questions. He won't do it. See, it's never about the questions that's been asked, even in our daily lives. It's the hard posture in which the questions that are being asked. See, God is more concerned about our willingness to obey Him, even when we struggle with doubts. And just as doubt is not the opposite of faith, struggling with God doesn't mean we lack faith. That's the third thought that I want to think about. Struggling with God is evidence that we have faith. But sometimes our struggle will strengthen our faith. Uh, doubt is like a vaccine. It can serve like a vaccine. You, know, um, you guys ever get like the flu shot? The doctors actually give you, any aspiring doctors in the house? Yeah. Yeah. When, when doctors uh, are giving you a vaccine, they give you a tiny portion of the disease. And this tiny portion is just enough to activate the antibodies so that you have the strength to fight off the disease. Am I right, Nathan? Based up yet? <laughs> when we face doubts, you know, with honesty, when we admit that we have doubts, it can serve as this tiny portion. This tiny portion of doubt can lead us to develop our faith in the area that we want to have this weakness. This is why I say doubt can be like a vaccine. Because now that we are missing something, it can push us forward to having more faith or trusting in God. Let's look at Luke 12, verses 22 to 31. It says, then he said to his disciples, talking about Jesus, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not seek what you should eat, or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. 
and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. In this passage, Jesus addressed the problem of worry. Do we have any professional warriors in the room? See, I see hands go up. See, you're laughing, but some people are professional warriors. Like, give me something to worry about. Uh, well, the word worry is synonymous with anxiety or fear. So I use the word anxiety interchangeably like our text. Now, in our culture, we often confuse anxiety with the word eager. Sometimes uh, someone might say, I'm anxious about going on this vacation. But what they mean is that I'm eager or I'm looking forward to this vacation. Unless some of you really don't want to be on this vacation, you're really worried about it. <laughs> See, worry is a state of anxiety or anxiousness. And it's not a matter of being eager. It's, not, it's a matter of uneasiness in our minds. Uh, so someone who's afraid of height is not eager to ride an air balloon. They're terrified. So eagerness is related to joy, something joyful. But anxiety is related to fear. As humans, we have specific worries that are common to our lives. For those of you who are professional warriors, uh, just throw something that you worry about, just naturally. Grades. Grades. Taxes. Those are taxes. <laughs> I hear you. Taxes. Oh man, it's you know, I'm a mission for my faculty, and all the while that I'm you know I'm teaching, and they're like, hey, uh, we realize that we haven't been charging the right taxes for California. And I'm like, more taxes? Like seriously? Because it's in another state. I worry about taxes too. Someone tells you, I'm going to pay $1,000, and they're like, oh, and you get $435. You're like, how much taxes do I pay? Maybe you're like, I want to file my taxes. But maybe you're like, it's the fear of getting sick, or the fear of losing your job, or the fear of giving up your comfort. You know, comfort is a loaded uh, word, it could involve the space that we occupy. Like you're having someone coming over and they tell you, you're going to share your room. You're like, man, it's always the question in our house when someone's coming over, it's like, who's going to give up their room? And everyone's like, closing their doors. Not my room. But it can also deal with the control that we desire. Because if we're worried about losing control, then the opposite must be true. Desire control. Interestingly, we're given these negative prohibitions um, like the Ten Commandments or the ones in the New Testament. Um, Thou shalt not steal. Give another one. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt serve the Lord of God by the heart, by the soul. Shall any, any more Ten Commandments? Oh, on the appearance. That's, that's, that's the Ten Commandments. We only got like three. <laughs> don't cover your name. Keep the Sabbath. Don't come to adultery. Idols. 
Okay, just throw the one words out there. See, you got to go to Exodus. <laughs> and then we see it in, in the New Testament of how we should just love our neighbors as ourselves too, right? Yeah. 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 All those things very clear. Don't do this or you shall do this. But Luke 12, 22, what did he say? And he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, what? Do not worry about your life. In our human condition, we go through life on the edge of anxiety. All of us worry some of the time. Some of us worry all the time. But Jesus says what? Don't worry at any time. So, according to our text, worrying is actually a sin. Whether we accept it or not. Because Jesus commands us not to do it. See, it's interesting that we accept the other commandments. Kill. Shall not steal, not commit adultery. We, we honor these things where they're convenient. But since we haven't decided to stop worrying, we view this command as just another conversation. Imagine if we accept this idea of worrying compared to someone who says, Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to keep stealing, it's okay. I mean, we're proud upon that, right? Imagine the one who you know, kill someone who says, that's just my weakness. I kill people. <laughs> Notice how we're to say, oh, worrying is just a thing. That's just my weakness. It's, so the things that, that, that we haven't decided to stop doing yet is just this thing. I only lie sometimes. You know, I only steal sometimes. I'm working on it. Again, grace is required for the things that we're working on. But it doesn't change the fact that it's something that Christ is calling us not to do. So don't worry, I'm not, I'm not condemning you at all. I just want us to realize that, you know, it's convenient for us to say the things that, we, that we're not working on. So someone who is not stealing is going to say, man, what's wrong with you? Why are you stealing so much? And you're like, well, why do you lie so much? See, this is where we try to categorize the things that Christ is commanding us not to do. See, as Christians, we, we often say, well, God is in control, but at times we live life as if we're in control, and when we're, we face this situation that's outside of our control, we start worrying. When you look at our text, in Christ's days, right, food and clothing were the two main areas of anxiety for these people, verse 22 and 23. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. So food and clothing were the two main worries of the audience. In the first century, people consistently didn't know where their next meal was coming from. Now you might say, well, so to the others who you know, don't have a job. Fair. But you have to understand where this question is coming from, or this conversation. Think about the children of Israel. If you don't know the story, when they were in the wilderness, they were hungry 
they were thirsty. And God, through Moses, allowed him to bring water from a rock. You guys know the story, right? Yes? Okay. And then there was this, when they were hungry, he sent manna. Manna was like this oath. And when manna came, God said, don't try to store this manna. I'm going to provide your food each day. Great is our faithfulness, morning by morning. Why? See, you guys like singing hymns and you don't know the hymn. Morning by morning what? You must that sing. So, so what's happening is that they were constantly trying to keep the food because food was really a necessity. They didn't know where it was coming from. But the next day after they served all this food, it would rot. Water waste. Because God wanted them to trust Him. So this conversation about not worrying about food is a real thing. They also had to worry about what to wear because in those days, many times the clothes that they were wearing is the only clothes that they had. And sometimes it's in different stories. So they have this worry about food and clothing. It's a legitimate concern for these people. So Jesus tried to comfort them by drawing on two everyday examples to help them understand how God cares for them. The first thing he said is in verse 24. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Consider the ravens. Now, the Greek word translated for consider means to notice, um, observe, or contemplate something. So Jesus invites the audience to observe what they see around them. But there's something specific he wants them to see. He wants them to see this discarded, discredited animal, a raven. According to the Mosaic law in Leviticus 11, verse 15, and throughout the Bible, you see that the Jews could eat clean animals, like doves, because they fed on grains, um, all the good But these unclean um, animals were forbidden. The ravens are vultures because they feed on blood or inevitable flesh. So Jesus had just told them this parable a few verses in our, before in Luke 12, verses 16 to 21, and he talked about the parable of the rich fool. And this, this rich fool was ready to tear down um, his barns, his storehouses, and to build bigger ones. So if you read, you'll see that in, in the story. And now he, Jesus says, he calls out this raven. He says, observe the raven. The raven doesn't sow or reap, and it doesn't have any storeroom. So from what we can see in this text, or even the audience, is that the rich man he has the advantage. Because he's saying, I have so much stuff that I'm going to tear this down to build a bigger thing. The raven has nothing. And yet Jesus suggests that the raven has a greater advantage because the raven has God. God himself provides food for the unclean raven that doesn't sow, doesn't reap, doesn't have storehouses. God himself will meet the needs of this discredited bird. And so Christ asks the question, how much more valuable are you than this unclean bird? 
Maybe you're doing your best to serve Jesus. But it seems like you can't get a break in life. Your story is the story of misfortune. You guys ever felt like that before? Just can't get a break. Things happening. You know, one thing after the other, right? You're watching the news and you observe unsafe people around you who are not even trying to and yet it seems like they're thriving. All you want is just a bit of good luck. But nothing's happening. Christ is asking, how much more valuable are you? You've chosen to dedicate your life to serving God. How much more valuable are you? God says since you're so much more valuable than the discarded things in life, don't you think that God will take care of you? That's what he's asking. And Christ continues by stating this truth. Worrying carries an undeniable weakness. Worrying can't accomplish anything. Luke 12, 25-26. And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? So Jesus uses uh, physical measurements to emphasize his point. What we're seeing for you uh, English majors is a mixed metaphor. You guys know what a mixed metaphor is? <laughs> the Greek word translated uh, as stature has to do with lifespan. And the cubit is 18 inches. So you're seeing like two things that don't really add up. But it's like one's not like the other. So here's what's going on. Jesus is saying it would be a huge deal to ask this question first. And you guys are short and would like to add a few more inches of your life? You're short? Short people? Right? I see some hands go up like, yeah, I'm short. If, if, if my wife was here, she'd be like, yep, I know she's watching too. I'm saying, give me some more inches. But here's what the, the verse says. It's just amazing when you read the text how Jesus shows different things. He says, it would be a huge deal to add 18 inches to your height. So the cubit is 18 inches. But when you consider 18 inches to our lifespan, it's minute. Think about that. Even if you were six feet, or some of you probably say, oh, I need enough, enough foot and a half to get there. But it's saying even if you had 18 inches, it still would be enough to add to your life. It says if, if 18 inches won't do anything to your life, then why are you working? Why are you worrying about the rest? Because you can't even add 18 inches to your height. And even if you could add it to your, your height, it wouldn't even be enough for your lifespan. So if you can't accomplish anything by worrying, why do it? That's what he's asking. Verse 27 to 28. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet, I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. 
If then God so clothed the grass, which today is in the field, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. You know, when we live in headquarters, uh, Washington, you know, we have some people who would just be there to take care of the grass over and over. And we'll find some of our neighbors like, well, what do you do to keep your grass green in the summer? And they'll say, oh, we just let it burn. But then when springtime comes around, the grass that was gone comes up all over again. Jesus said, first God feeds the raven to assure them that God will provide food that they need. And now to illustrate that God will provide clothes that they wear, he appeals to their cognitive thinking by asking them to observe the lilies of the field. You know, I've gone and seen lilies. You guys have ever gone and seen lilies before? Like, I've seen one or two, others are like, oh, that sounds interesting. John, see lilies? It looks like. It'd be nice to just drive through and see all the petals and all the colors. You guys never done that before? No? One or two people? Like, yeah, I've done more of the digital stuff, you know. Lilies? No. Hiking? Yeah. Rock climbing. Rock climbing, yeah. Yeah. That is also great. Well, God is saying the richest man in the world, he still couldn't do enough to address the field. And say, if he couldn't do it, just think about what God is going to do for us. Consider the beauty of the wildflowers. And then realize that it doesn't compare to what God will do for our lives. So why are we so concerned about clothing when God elegantly clothed the wildflowers? Verse 29 and 30 says, And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. So Jesus takes the two most important concerns in their lives, which can also be the most important things in our lives. We need food. We need clothing. He says, not only do I want you to not worry about these things, but also don't seek it. Now, Jesus is not suggesting that you don't work. That's not what he's saying. So, if you can work, get a job. Right? That's not what it says here. He's suggesting that we don't have to worry that God won't meet our needs. Jesus says, your father knows that you need these things. The implication is, how could a good and wealthy father observe and allow his children to not have food or clothing? Here's the truth. We don't have to convince God of the needs in our lives. Whatever the needs are in our lives, we don't have to convince God of it. He already knows. He's fully aware of it. And this is emotional priority is tested. Because we all have this internal clock where we predetermine when the most important things in our lives should be resolved. We create these list of the top 10 things to determine their uh, importance, and then we give them an expiration date. We know exactly what date should be. And if God doesn't respond to these timelines, it creates a sense of worry. 
But all the while, God's been trying for us to recenter our emotional priority. In verse 30, Jesus suggested that unbelievers chase things that provide no eternal value because they're thinking about the, the earthly things. We fixate on our finances because we have to pay rent or mortgage. We have to get gas in our car. And when we have these bills because of adulting, you guys hate adulting because of bills you got to pay? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was talking to someone, I know you wouldn't mind if I mentioned his name, but I won't mention his name. And he had to pay this bill, and he says, this is the last time the government will get this bill from me. It's not going to happen again. Don't look around. I didn't call a name. What are you looking for? You? But we fixate on these things because we have to. But Jesus says our daily fixation belongs on the kingdom of God. Verse 31 says, But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Now, I understand the difficulty of telling someone who struggles with everyday life to focus on God's kingdom. I understand. Because I've been there. God don't need me to tell you all over about me being homeless. Been there. So I understand. Because I needed physical resources. But my pastor says, I'm praying for you. So I understand that it's often difficult to tell someone who's struggling in their daily life to say, don't worry about it, focus on the kingdom of God. And you're like, do you see what I need right now? Without faith, it's difficult to explain God's strategic process. Because maybe you're struggling with stuff right now. And so if you're struggling with something, lacking faith in what God can do, you won't understand this process. Christ is still calling us to focus our minds and our hearts on seeking God's kingdom. And then when we seek God's kingdom, there will be provision for what we need. Even if you can often say, I've experienced that. Focusing on God, they made provision. Now I know that you know, this person won't mind me sharing this story. I remember talking to, to Adam early spring. And, and Adam, you know, had this job and he's like, now's not the right time for the job. But I trust that, you know, when the time comes, then God will make sure that job is there. Am I right, Adam? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and see, when, when you're trusting God and you're serving God in different things in your life, he knows your necessity. When you trust God and put Him first, when those moments come, He's going to provide for you. Now, if God is not speaking to you, speaking to you, you better not turn in that job. You better take that job. But are we so consumed by the uncertainties of life to the point where Jesus becomes secondary? Are we so occupied? with survival, that we're distracted from Jesus and his kingdom. See, when we're consumed with doubts, we, live, we leave no room for Jesus. And I get it. It's a work in progress. But 
But if we leave the room for Jesus, then we're going to be left with struggles. But if our thoughts, minds, and our prayers are focused on Jesus and his kingdom, then we have this promise that he will supply our needs according to what? His riches and glory. You guys don't take notes and read the Bible? God shall supply needs according to his riches and glory. Man, I feel like a bad pastor. <laughs> and I have some faces like, oh, that sounds cool. That's interesting. I'm not making these things up, guys. The Apostle Paul gave a similar instruction to the Philippian church um, when they faced challenges in their daily lives. He said to recenter your, your emotional priority. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. But Paul didn't even stop there. He went on to verse 8 to 9 and says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul says, there is something that you've seen in my life, the way that I live. There's something in your life that the unbeliever will see. How you deal with adversity. How you get up when life throws you a curveball. The way that you live is what Paul is saying. You've seen how I live. And he's saying, all the things that you've seen from my life, all that you've learned, understand that the God of peace will be with you. This is the same peace that we can offer to those who are in doubt. Those who are seeking a relationship with Jesus. Those who don't know Jesus, when they ask about, why do you have this hope? You have a story to share. You can share that the reason that you see me get up when life throws me a curveball is because I have this hope in Jesus. And you can also have the same hope in Jesus if you put your trust in him. That's what Paul shows us. So what we're seeing within our text is that when we focus on the problems and the struggles of life, we begin to worry. But when we focus on God and His provision, we receive the peace of God. Don't you guys all want peace in your life? Yeah. Yeah. Can I see the hand of those who have enough peace in their lives? You have enough peace? I certainly don't have enough peace. That's why I love going home. When I go home, Peace in my home. But this means that we must understand or must be intentional in where we place 
our emotions, when we navigate doubts, and we are going to experience doubts in our lives, but where will we place our emotions? I want to provide, provide you with two more practical things and that we're going to practice communion and worship teams that can come forward. And it's pretty simple. Number one, admit when you are in doubt and ask for help. No sounds. Sin? Uh, that's what the father did in Mark 9 that we covered a couple weeks ago. He said he needed help for his son. And ending, he said something in, in Mark 9 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. See, we live in a society where asking for help is not always popular. There's too much to ask for help. But sometimes that sort of self-dependence causes us to miss the reality that God is saying, I'm willing to help if you ask me. Now I keep asking more questions. I'm going to ask you another question. How many of you guys have difficulty asking for help? Oh, I understand. But nothing is wrong with asking for help. It's okay. You know, it's, uh, but God is not fragile. He can carry us. He can carry our doubts. He can carry our fears, our worries. You can also carry all our unanswered questions. You can tell Jesus your doubts. Cry out to him. But maybe you need to go to a Christian friend, a pastor, or a church leader, and you can ask them to walk with you when you find yourself dealing with doubts. Borrow some of their, you know, strength. Number two, recognize that faith is a choice, not a feeling. Faith is a choice, not a feeling. It's tempting to associate faith with, you know, how we feel at a given moment. You have all the faith in the world and things are going great. But if all you've got is a God of the good times, then your faith might be shallow. That's the truth. See? Many things in life will remain mysterious. And your questions might remain unanswered. You can ask God for the answer to get to heaven. But in life, they're just not always answers for every question that we have. So God still doesn't want us to be consumed by those things. Now, I'm not speaking to you because I never doubt God. The confidence in which I speak is that I've experienced God and how he responds when I give everything over to him. All of us have questions that we simply can't answer. And often in time, these questions are, you know, they revolve around the whys of life. Why did this thing happen? Or why did it happen to me? Or why didn't this thing happen 10 years ago or 10 years later? Well, we must learn to find peace with God, even with the unknown and the uncertainties of life. My question to come forward. Now, I don't know where you are in your life. <coughs> but maybe, you know, you're, you're like the, uh, the audience that we see in Scripture. 
concern for them was food, clothing. These things are necessities. I don't know what you consider to be a necessity in your life. But what we're seeing here at the end of the story is that our Heavenly Father cares for us. You know, maybe you've experienced you know, the greatest uh, fear in life. Something happens that is unexpected and you're wondering, why would God allow this to happen to me? The truth is, I don't know. But what I do know is that we serve a loving God who's with us in spite of the experiences in life. Do want to pray for us? Thank you for the ones that are here who are saying I don't have a relationship with you. And I pray God that you will continue to their hearts, allow them to realize the peace that they have, allow them to realize how much you care for them, but also God, I pray for all of us here in this room that we will surrender our doubts to you, that you're calling us to see you in the midst of all things, giving over our everyday life decisions to you, help us to prioritize our emotions that are thoughts can be fixated on you and the things that you desire to do in our lives. We just love you, God, for all that you're doing and will do. In Jesus' name, amen.